what's up trenders welcome back to another episode of trending up and today if you are watching us live on facebook or youtube uh or later on after this you will see that we have a very special special guest garrison yes, we do i was trying to give you a wrestler name garrison something hayes but do you have a you have a like a uh, no g money hayes i don't know g money hayes g money hayes i don't know how i got that name i think it just rhymes or it's something it sounds good right 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 you know gave me that i'm gonna say you know gave me that abner sanchez called me g money hayes i could see that g money i will tell you and i think i mentioned this another time i was in the campus ministries room office with garrison hayes when uh what dean was it was it Erhart? i think it was Erhart. he came through he looked at garrison he said garrison you are the face of southern <laughs> and so it's like <laughs> rest in peace, rest in peace. all right amazing right. yeah so garrison you are always obviously a man that the, the people look up to that we look up to so we appreciate you coming on appreciate uh, you guys um so yeah so yeah we're just gonna get right into it we don't want to take too much uh of everyone's times but obviously we know what's going on uh we've been going on a conversation um over the last couple of weeks uh on relationships right and so we've been talking more about romantic relationships and stuff uh but now we're going i guess we're just taking the, this, this side we're step taking for... it no it's not even go a ahead, side step we're actually taking it to the corporate level so society is literally a corporate um dynamic of relationships uh and how you manage them you know and and so today's uh topic is really important um as we um talk about uh what's going on in our country why where right. it started right. and how it's right. going to go forward right 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 yeah, so we're very excited to have this conversation. Um, excited in the sense that we it, we feel it as a, a needed conversation. It sucks to have you know if you haven't if you've been following us for since our beginning, we had this conversation almost a year ago with Garrison. We we're talking about yeah. what it's like to be black in America. We talked about the Latino and Black Latinx community connection, um, and it's unfortunate that here we are again a year later, still trying to. I guess better no other words educate and and really expose white supremacy and racial discrimination and all that you know you could just go down the list mm-hmm. um so i guess just from the beginning i'll just pose this question to whoever wants to answer it what is going on right now obviously people are checking the news everything's been COVID for the last 90 80 days uh and the last week or two we've really had a spike in a different conversation so if anybody wants to just take a stab at it um and just share hey what's going on I'll just say that, you know, we are, you know, it's been said a number of ways and I echo, you know, this is a common kind of saying that I've been hearing and I think it's accurate that Mm. the pandemic that's been going on for 400 years Mm. has rivaled the pandemic that's been going on for four months. Mm. And and we mm. see the pandemic of racism and the blighting effects of racism, particularly anti-black right. racism right at work and taking uh taking up the necessary space the, the space that it deserves to take mm-hmm. in our national mm-hmm. conversation mm-hmm. you know whether it's Ahmad Arbery who was killed back in February Breonna Taylor who was right. killed um just two months ago right and right. and George Floyd who was killed I think two weeks ago now right, um, right. you know there is no video of Breonna Taylor's killing but mm. that that killing, which hasn't gotten enough attention, honestly, yeah, right, is right. is profoundly offensive. And not, you know, if you if you aren't aware, Louisville, Kentucky, um, cops burst into her apartment, um, 
thinking that they were doing a drug bust, I believe they'd actually already apprehended, you know, some, some officers had already apprehended the suspect in in that case that they were looking for, Mm -hmm. but they bust in on a no knock, you know, which is illegal. They did not knock. They bust in with guns blazing and end up shooting and killing her. Um, and even shooting and wounding her boyfriend who shot back. And it's just this mess of cops being incompetent Mm -hmm. and her life, didn't matter enough for them to knock. It didn't matter enough for them to arrest the officers who killed her, even though the the way in which they entered her apartment is illegal. And I know that's not the center of this conversation, but it doesn't get enough. So at the top, I just want to say her name. Mm -hmm. Brianna Taylor um, was killed. And while we're out marching for Ahmaud Arbery and while we're out marching for George Floyd, and and Mm -hmm. we ought to be marching for those individuals, we ought Mm -hmm. to also be marching for Brianna Taylor, who was killed unjustly. Agree. Yeah, you know, we're gonna the 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 topic of uh, police is gonna come up throughout this conversation, and mm-hmm. we need to um, understand one thing behind that is first, when you take on the mantle of being a policeman and being part of the institution to you know uh, protect each other, right? That's in theory. That's what's supposed to happen. There comes a great responsibility, and then accountability comes res- with responsibility. Right. So if you want something to work a certain way, you have to have accountability behind that. So and when when an error happens, you have to rectify that in order to keep that responsibility. So one of the biggest outrages that's happening, too, is a lack of accountability. Um, And and that's why uh, you you mentioned the word incompetency. Like Mm -hmm. that's why you have to have competency in Mm -hmm. what you're doing. And when you don't, you need to take on the responsibility of being responsible for your action. You can't just say, oh, Brianna Taylor, like, I'm sorry, we we thought uh, this is going to escalate. And we had to shoot first because we felt endangered. And I'm sorry that you actually weren't a threat to us. And now other things happen. No, that's the point. Yeah. The right. point is yeah. you have to be competent to have to take responsibility. Yep. And I think that's something that that's going to come up a lot throughout this yeah. conversation. And I think we have to be unafraid to hold the the institutions and I mean, even in our community, right? You know, if the mayor is doing something wrong, you know, if you if you're sheriff or yeah, your teacher, like you yeah. have every ability as part of this institution, as part of this organization, as part of this body, to say. Hey, there's a wrongdoing, right? Yeah. We're pastors, right? And yeah. if someone comes in, you're yeah. like, oh, Pastor, Pastor Sebastian has been, you know, I don't want to say anything. <laughs> yeah, right. No, you but I hear you. <laughs> but but if, if you know, Pastor Sebastian, or, or hey, you know, they come to you, hey, the first elder or, or this elder, this deacon is not acting right. You know, we think he's taking funds or we think that he's 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 uh he's being inappropriate or whatever it is, right? You can't you can't be in a okay, but he's just one of the elders. There's right. we have one bad elder, but the rest are good. It's like, no, no, no. First of all, we, we no, can't. No, no, That's not okay. As a pastor, I'm not going to sit there and be like, oh, I mean, what about the other 10 elders that we got? We're good. So we have to be okay with questioning and holding accountable the people that we have over us because, yo, they're representing us. They're, they're for the people, right? And so. It, and then you have to ask yourself because we are not talking about an individual in, in the truest sense of the word. We're talking about someone who is a part of what Edgar just I, what I believe to be correctly identified as a system or an institution. Yeah, right, yeah. So you have to ask yourself, even if there is one bad apple right, or one bad police officer, that's the analogy right. for police officers, one yeah, bad yeah, apple. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
what allows for him to be or her to be protected? What yeah. allows for them to remain in their position of authority? And even when people bring, I mean, we know Chauvin, the guy who knelt or kneeled mm-hmm. on on mm-hmm. George Floyd's neck, he had 18 complaints filed against him, I believe six of which, or at least a, a number of which were yeah. brutality um, mm-hmm. complaints mm-hmm. against him. What allows for an individual to still be on the street to still be on the police force? At some point, we have to acknowledge that it's not just one. There are at least two because his uh, his superior made sure that he remained on the force. And if if it's not two, it has to at least be three because someone else witnessed that and didn't file a complaint. And if it's not three, I mean, it probably could very well be the entire office. And I'm not saying I'm not here to say that that we should you know abolish the police or anything of that sort. I am here to say that we need yeah. to consider how do we hold yeah. the police officers uh, who are yeah. bad accountable. Yeah. And if yeah. you, yeah. the people surrounding them, you know, if, yeah. if the other officers, the, the police chief and the unions mm-hmm. aren't holding these officers accountable, they too are culpable in the situation. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I think that that's really, really important to, to, to grasp is um, for example, if someone, especially in churches, because churches mm-hmm. uh, have notoriously been known to, uh, move pastors or priests around when they have been uh, found uh, mm-hmm. or accused and even found to be guilty of of a, of, of a sin, right? Of a horrible mm-hmm. action. And they just get moved around. And no, the church needs to be accountable. So, you know, as Seventh-day Adventists, we're Protestants. Um, uh, we're, it's easy to point at the Catholic church that has struggled with sexual abuse and be like, oh, huh, you know, the Pope knew about this. The priest knew about this. But then we are not able to be to translate that to even our men, men and women who have taken on the mantle to protect our society and have failed. It's not messed up, failed. So we have to show um, in order to to be loving, we need to show just Mm -hmm. justice needs to come out and Mm -hmm. we need to be just when called to. Yeah. And then speaking about race relations, right, this is kind of we, we you know, we I think we highlighted a little bit last time in the uh, last pod- podcast a year ago. I think it was around actually maybe July, August, but because I think it was after. We had talked about Baltimore in that podcast, so I'm sure I, there's so many things that were going on. Yeah, I think it was something that the president said about Baltimore. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 That's right. I, I remember yeah. we yeah, I was I was in Chicago for a wedding. So that's like, it's around that time of the year. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the, you know, the the meaning we're saying this is because is the, it's been the reality of black of the black community for so long. Right. I I mean, I'm glad that there's this public outrage at what we saw, at least in the video of, you know, Ahmed Arbery and, and George Floyd. And people are like, how can he stand on his neck for eight minutes like that? And then you see the officers next to them just simply watching this. And though they may not have any, but people would say racist intent. I think I still point, they still don't, they still have devalued the life of George Floyd too in a racist way, but just to sit by idly and not stand up and say, yo, 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 Hey, hey, let's not do this. This is not good. Um, This is the reality of the black community for so long. Right. Garrison. And I know I'm I'm sure it's painful to have to relive it and re-experience it every single day. Um, And, um, but yeah, I don't know if you want to kind of highlight a little bit of what, you know, kind of how this, I don't even know what kind of question I'm asking. I'm just going to put that's it. That's no, I, I think I'm I think I'm I hear what you're asking. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's there. I, You know, the reality of the I'll be very straightforward. The reality of the black community mm-hmm. is that 
there have been anti-Black narratives distributed, ideas, racist anti-Black narratives about who we are, about what we are, wow. that have been distributed for so long that non-Black people, Black people and non-Black people mm -hmm. find it entirely untenable. I mean, it's just mm -hmm. unreasonable right. to believe right. Black people. Right. Right. That's the that's that's a, for me, in my opinion, at, at its baseline. Right. People don't believe black people. Mm -hmm. So when 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 you you know, you make the, the observation that this has been going on for a long time, I think about, you know, Frederick Douglass or W.E.B. Du Bois, mm -hmm. you know, or Arna Bonetemps or Langston Hughes or James Baldwin or Martin Luther King Jr. or Ralph David Abernathy, who's in this who's in this photo right over, over here mm -hmm. with MLK. And mm -hmm. I, I think about all, you know, John Lewis and moving it more contemporary. I think about Ibram Kendi and Tiny mm -hmm. Coates and Michael Eric Dyson and Tony yeah. Morrison and, right. and Audre Lorde. And I can you know, we can name so many black intellectuals. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So many black authors mm -hmm. who have given word and witness to the experience of black people. Mm -hmm. And yet nothing changes. And, right. and I think nothing changes for uh, several re reasons. But one of the reasons is because they don't people don't believe black people. They, they just mm -hmm. think that we're just lying about our experience, that we're yeah. just making this stuff up. Right. Right. Because if right. you believed us. If you believed what we had to say about the way police officers treat us, if you believed what we had to say about redlining, if you believed what we mm -hmm. had to say about the way in which we are not protected by the laws of this land, the way that others, particularly white people, are protected mm -hmm. by the laws of this land, you would hopefully right. I believe that you're a good person. Surely you would desire to seek you. You seek change yeah. for black brothers and sisters. Yeah. Uh, I think it's a. It's it, to, to solve racism, especially anti-black racism, mm. you've got to start believing black people. Yeah. We have mm. given word and witness Mercy. for 100, 300 at least years. And, and nothing has changed. You, you really have to wonder, you know, I was listening to a podcast just yesterday. Uh, the NPR Code Switch podcast did a wonderful episode mm -hmm. about what does seeing black men and women killed on camera do for us? Yeah, and yeah, they yeah. pose a really provocative question Marcy. because they, they, they essentially kind of conclude that it must do nothing for us because as you say, it's been a year since we talked, we had this conversation last mm -hmm. and within the last month, I can tell you of three killings, videos right. of, of black men being killed, black women being killed, uh, reports of black men and women being mm -hmm. killed. Mm -hmm. And there are no, there, there's no substantive mm -hmm. uh, legislation or substantive change being put forth to, to ensure that this doesn't happen. We aren't standardizing policing practices. Right. We don't have uh, independent oversight for police departments and agencies. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. The police often police themselves. So they, mm -hmm. of course, give themselves all of the benefit of the doubt. The, the police are still able to say, hey, I, I, my life uh, qualified, you know, immune, my, my life was threatened. So right, that right, gave right, me right. all of the right to take this person's life. But we've done nothing to change the situation. Mm -hmm. And I would argue that that's because we don't believe black people. Wow. Wow. Huh. No words, man. That's, that's, yeah. that's, that's crazy. So, uh, you know, um, w what I've seen, um, what I've seen throughout the last uh, few weeks um, as we've really 
uh, especially with Ahmad, who came that I mean, this video came out what like a month ago, um, but it happened the month before or two months before in February. And mm-hmm. uh, the person that actually really uh, this is hearsay, but I'm sure I can find better, uh, you know, uh, uh, chronicles of this. But uh, the the video was released to justify actually mm-hmm. that this person, this black man, that uh, Ahmad was guilty of. Uh, stealing right and then and then this would this video would actually protect uh the two white men that killed this young man just running through uh, a neighborhood which it's interesting i myself uh, i live in a part of uh, buffalo that's more affluent um and i i always joke i'm the poorest uh, person on my street which, <laughs> <laughs> i'm the one that does it my own home repairs everybody else like hires it out and so forth but the, <laughs> but the point that that, that, that I, I was going to count on is that i actually run through my street and uh street um and in the past i've ran with my son and uh so i push i push the cart and he's you know yeah he's in front of me and i run and that can be more of a you know family uh you know kind of environment but mm-hmm. i ran one time without my son and i, was, I actually ran with all black attire i had a black mm-hmm. hoodie had a black mm-hmm. um joggers and black shoes i like the color black right uh, ironic for a pastor but anyways I, I was running out there and i remember uh someone um stopping they were mowing their lawn and then stopping and then just mm-hmm. looking at me and um, I, yeah, I'm not black. I'm, I'm, I'm brown. You know, I'm Mexican, right? I'm uh, what you would consider, uh, especially using general statements. Mm-hmm. We need to stop using general statements. I think that is one of the worst things. We're going to mention it. Language, how we describe what is going on. And um, p- people have said about my ethnicity that we are a bunch of drug dealers just trying to come to this country and rape and steal and sell drugs. That's what people say about Mexicans. Right. So I'm running, right? And 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 I just thought, why would this man um, stop and look at me? And yes, people can protect their homes, and and I, I mean, I'm all for that. I, um, mm-hmm. I, I'm all for that. But could there be a sense of profiling hmm. uh, based on on my the color of my skin, what I'm wearing, and the fact that I'm going to through a neighborhood where people are living and obviously you want to protect where you're at, but why do we react that way? Mm-hmm. That, that's mm-hmm. one of the, the, the biggest, why? And could it be general statements such as uh, black people shouldn't be trusted. Mexicans are drug dealers. These kind of things are these things in our people's minds um, warranted or not. Why, how did they get there? Mm-hmm. And that is what we're, we're really trying to address is the rhetoric behind uh, how people look at minorities. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I, I have a lot of white friends and there are, there is um, God created both white, black, Mexican, Brown, whatever he, he created them and they each have dignity. So with that being said, we need to understand that the dignity of a person is not totally dependent on their skin, but on, who their creator is. Mm. So if Ahmad was killed and we can think, oh, this is okay because he could have been a, 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 a robber or um, when it comes to Floyd, he could have forged a check. If we're okay with them dying, what does that say about how we value life? Mm-hmm. And 
that that is something that we need to see a common denominator within mm-hmm. um, our society is black men and women have been killed, killed, murdered by those that we have chosen to defend ourselves, defend ourselves. Yeah. So why is this happening? Yeah. And this is this is the, the situation we're in. Yeah. You know, I, I, I you asked a really good question that triggered something for me. You said, you know, like, like, why is it that, you know, we're thinking we think about, say, Mexicans this way or black people this way. And, you know, I think social psychologists would, you know, identify um, what's called mental models as at least part of the reason that we are we get into these ruts it's kind of a natural phenomenon mental models help us to to operate efficiently in this world for instance when i get into a car in america i know that the steering wheel is here and like right over here is where i'm going to change the gears whether it's automatic or you know i'm probably going to change the gears here or maybe here those are mental models that help Mm -hmm. me operate Mm -hmm. efficiently i can go from car to car to car and I'm always going to generally know what I'm doing in the car because I'm, I'm, I'm easily oriented to what's right, happening in right, the vehicle. Yeah, right. Right? Yeah, yeah. I have a mental model of what a vehicle looks like, and, and that helps me operate more efficiently. Mm-hmm. We do this with people often. Uh, it, this is just the way that our minds work to help us to move through life mm-hmm. without having to restart our cognitive process at every mm-hmm. single step. If mm-hmm. every time I walked out the door, everything was new to me, yeah. I would be exhausted. Like, like right, I, yeah, everything yeah, would just yeah. be so exhausting. So we do this and it's natural and it's not inherently wrong. But when we do this to people, that's mm-hmm. what we call prejudice, where I mm-hmm. say, okay, this is a Mexican, so this, mm-hmm. this, this, and this thing must be true about him. Oh, and maybe it is sometimes. Maybe that helps me kind of orient myself to you as a Mexican right. person, yeah, 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 and, yeah. and it makes it yeah. easy for yeah. us to kind of have relations, and I know where to kind of like, you know, I know where, yeah. how you tick yeah. a little bit, right? And that, that's helpful. Yeah. But when it becomes unhelpful is when we allow those things to, to be negative. One, we have all these negative preconceptions about mm-hmm. entire groups of people, but that's still prejudice. I can have prejudice against white people. I can have prejudice against Mexicans. I can even have prejudice against black people. I see a black person yeah. Yeah. in a hoodie. That's a criminal. Yeah. That person's more mm-hmm. violent. Mm-hmm. I don't want to mess with them. They might be a drug dealer. They probably have a gun, right? I can have these mental models in my mind, these negative right. things. And right. again, that's prejudice. But when that prejudice begins to be amplified by the media, mm-hmm. when that prejudice begins to be codified by our by our legal system, when that prejudice begins to be amplified mm-hmm. uh, by the president of the United States, who says right. that all Mexicans are rapists and drug dealers. And right. Right. That's when it moves from being prejudiced to being racist, because racism is not just prejudice. It's prejudice plus institutional power, right? Mm -hmm. So the institutional power that allows my prejudice to be inflicted upon people Mm -hmm. without impunity, Mm -hmm. that's racism. So so the prejudice is like, oh, Mexicans are coming over here and they're taking our jobs and they're da-da-da-da-da and there's all this ridiculous stuff, Mm -hmm. right? But racism is saying, okay, so now we're going to detain them at the border. We're mm-hmm. going to release ICE to go get like actual legal Americans to like and lock them up. Mm-hmm. That's racism at work. And we see, of course, that working with black people. Mm-hmm. I mean, you see, for instance, bringing it back to the conversation that we're having, 
Ahmad Arbery is out on a jog, just like you, Edgar. And prejudice says, I see a black man hmm. running down the street. He must have stole something. That's, you know, Gregory right. and Travis McMichael. That's their prejudiced minds mm -hmm. at work. Mm -hmm. But it becomes, it, it, of course, that's racist. It's, those are racist ideas because right. they are backed by a system of power that mm -hmm. then allows for the McMichaels to go and kill Ahmaud Arbery and not to be arrested for several of the law enforcement officials there, the DAs mm -hmm. and the prosecutors to say nothing was you know, nothing that happened was wrong for mm -hmm. them to be essentially protected. And we're only hearing about this. We're only outraged about this today because right. there was a video. Right. As yeah. a matter of fact, I saw the New York Times article when it first came out about Ahmad Arbery. I read the case and I said, this is ridiculous. But I mean, but did it stick with me? Let's be very, I'll be honest mm -hmm. with you. It didn't stick with me mm. because there was no video to show right. what yeah, really yeah, yeah. happened. Right. It was just this very fuzzy vignette of someone yeah, without running, right. suspected of a crime, chased down and mm -hmm. shot. I don't know what's happening here. I can't say with any certainty, but when you see the video, it allows yeah. you to have like clarity that like, yeah. whoa, this is wrong. And right. yet there is a system in place to protect these individuals from repercussions for mm -hmm. their actions. If there was no video, the McMichaels, the, the, the individuals who killed Ahmaud Arbery would right. still be roaming free to right. this day. Right, right. Wow. Wow. That speaks to yeah, it speaks to it, our yeah. Yeah, it, I think, and I think that brings to the reality of the black community. Imagine um, I, there are um, throughout society there are things that happen to both white and black and every every uh, ethnicity. But when it comes to the reality of the black community, when you continually see these videos coming up of not videos is a newer thing for our society, right? Because now everybody has an HD camera. But in our time today, the reality of the black community is how do you react to watching these videos of a police officer putting their knee on the neck of an individual that was already apprehended. It's not that mm -hmm. he was fighting, you know, and this, 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 he accidentally knocked him out and now he's dead. It was, he was pressing upon this man's in the, uh, neck. That is the most vulnerable spot in your body, really, but uh, because of the airway and so forth. And how does the black community react to that? You know, mm -hmm. how, how, how did that make you feel uh, Garrison? And how does the, how does the, that community react to that piece. I think that's important to highlight because it's going to connect to the later part of our discussion. So for me, I'll, I'll be honest, I, I've not watched the video to this I, day. I, I haven't. I haven't either. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't have yeah. a reason to. It doesn't do anything. It doesn't make me any more mad than I already am. Mm -hmm. um, I, I don't need help getting upset about white supremacy or anti-blackness. I don't need help um, knowing that police officers target black people um, continually, off camera, on camera, it doesn't yeah, matter. I, yeah. <laughs> and, and so I so I haven't seen the video, but but right. what it does do is it reignites um, whatever dormant um, indignation, you know, as as you know our as our indignation and our our passion wanes over time. Yeah. It, it reignites that, you know, it, yeah. it, whatever has gone to sleep over time, I might still be, you know, angry and, and ready to go. And like, this needs to change, but whatever bit I've lost over time, it reignites it. The interesting thing, of course, is that George Floyd's uh, murder comes, you know, after 
um, this time in COVID, you know, with COVID-19 after this pandemic, where we see the black community Hmm. devastated Hmm. by this pandemic. I mean, we see Mm -hmm. the black community absolutely Mm -hmm. hammered Mm -hmm. by COVID-19. Of course, in the midst of that, we get Ahmaud Arbery. In the midst of that, we get Breonna Taylor. And in the midst of that, we get Amy Cooper and Christian Cooper in Central Mm -hmm. Park. So there is this, 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 uh, this context within which these protests are coming out and the black community is saying, wait, something needs to change yeah, because yeah. we've it's been revealed that on a few different levels, um, the America is failing the black community on a healthcare level, yep. of course, on a policing level, right. uh, justice system at large is, is failing us. Um, and of course, we know that the president is not for black people. I, I, you know, I don't know who will see this. Maybe they'll disagree with me. I, I don't care. You cannot say black lives matter and at the same time be a Donald Trump supporter. Mm-hmm. You can't mean black lives matter in the truest sense and be a Donald Trump supporter mm-hmm. because Donald Trump is not for black lives, mm-hmm. period. And so the, the context within which we exist has ignited this, this fire. Mm-hmm. That's why you see tens of thousands of peaceful but indignant protesters yeah. out in yeah, the streets yeah. of, of major All cities the around yeah. the country. Yeah. Yeah. So so would it be safe to say it's the, what's the saying, the hair that broke the camel's back? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think some people say, well, what's the big fuss? Like, yeah, someone died, you know, a lot of, it's like if you're injured and someone hits you right where you've been injured before. Right. How do you react to that? Yeah, Continually. It's gonna, it's gonna hurt way more. It's gonna, anyways. Yeah, we, we see that happening right. uh, today. Yeah, That's yeah. I mean, you know, I think Martin Luther King Jr. and I'm gonna let Sebastian. I know Sebastian trying to, get, you're trying to jump in. I'm learning. I'm learning. I'm learning. <laughs> um, you know, MLK talks about the phases of black suffrage and 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 the black civil rights push. And, um, you know, I'll, maybe I'll, I have the book here. I'll, I'll highlight it towards the end as mm-hmm. one that I think everyone should read. But he talks about how white Americans um, can normally get on board with the black suffrage push uh, to stop being brutalized. What I mean is that, you know, at, you know, slavery was a brutal, brutal thing for the black community. And, and there are plenty of liberal to moderate whites mm-hmm. who yeah. could say, no, that's wrong. Like, let's take the whip out of the sheriff's hand, MLK yeah. says. You know, let's let's make sure that we aren't, you know, brutalizing these people. Let them live in their own communities. Let them have their jobs at their own places or working for us. But but we don't want to brutalize them. Right. So right. he talks about this is, you know, back in the 60s. He's yeah, writing this and saying that whenever there is a brutalization of the black body, That's, whenever oh, that yeah. is is made public, yeah, yeah. you will see a swell of white moderates and white liberals who want to get on board with the push to stop brutalizing black people. That's phase one, though. Mm-hmm. Phase two, however, loses the white support. Mm-hmm. Phase two is the push for equity and equality. Right. And when white people realize that there is something to be lost, privilege, so that their black brothers and sisters can gain equity, then all of a sudden that passion and that push uh, seems to subside. It seems to go away. And, and mm-hmm. I take, I say all of that, you know, you say the, the straw that broke the camel's back. I think that there are thousands upon thousands, millions of yeah. black and brown people 
who are ready to protest yesterday, who are ready to protest yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. three months ago right. and are out there pushing for, for, for change, who are on the front lines of mm -hmm. advocating for black and brown lives. But what we're seeing is a coming together of not just black people. Mm -hmm. I went out to mm -hmm. protest uh, just yesterday and I saw I was, you know, I was I was, of course, delighted to see the diversity yeah. Yeah. of the people yeah. who are out there marching for the life of George Floyd and Ahmaud Arbery and Breonna Taylor and others mm -hmm. who are marching for justice. But I could not help but get I, I couldn't help. You know, I couldn't get MLK's words out of my mind that this is a push, as he would call for the for the cessation of brutalization. You yeah. know, he would say That's this is else. this is a push mm -hmm. for us to stop brutalizing black bodies. And where I think he would look skeptical, skeptically, I think he would look like kind of like a little warily waiting for that same group of people, that cosmopolitan group of people to be there for the push it, for yeah. equity and equality for black and brown lives. Wow. 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 Yeah, that's good. That's good. A lot of thoughts, man. I was uh, <laughs> trying to jump in, but no, I'm learning a lot. I'm learning a lot. You know, um, there's a lot that we can go from from here, but uh I think it, it's an amazing moment now. I'm I'm really excited for the you know our generation and the next generations to come. I was talking to a friend last night, uh, Jonathan Montplazier, and who's in South Texas, and you know being from South Texas, you know being it's very interesting, you know, to see that you would say, hey, we have similar struggles, you know, being immigrants, you know, being looked down upon, like Edgar was saying earlier, saying you know that Mexicans are this, that Latinos are coming and taking our jobs, you know, just same along the same lines of what is said about the black community, but. A lot of times when it comes to actually, you know, be beyond even in protests, a lot of people won't jump in and do that, you know, unless it's touching and it's talking about detention centers in South Texas or you're talking about, you know, other stuff like that, about ICE, you know, protesting. But we don't really you know, there's not a lot of big coalition between minority groups. Right. And so something I think that's really cool. You highlighted Garrison was to see that, you know, at least a young, young people, they're like, hey, hey we're going out. We're going to go change. We're going to go. Um, but that's such a great point. I was just, you know, in reading, and I'm sure I'll, I'll mention it later, you know, stand from the beginning here by uh, Ibram Kendi. Man, if this is a, a go-to book um, on the definitive history of racist ideas in America. Powerful um, book. Yeah, powerful book. Big book, but now that I have the quarantine, man, it's just, I can't <sighs> stop reading it because it's just, and it's so sad because so much of what's happened in the last hundreds of years is still happening today. It's just morphed, right? Right. But the underlying racism and the ideas and the beliefs, the language that people use that continue to degrade and devalue, dehumanize the, the lives of black and minorities is still seen today. Right. Um, but yeah, how 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 easy it is. I was thinking about, you know, how he makes the distinction between segregationist and assimilationist. Right. And and how much throughout history we've always, you know, applauded all these people that were for, you know, stopping segregation and stopping slavery. Um, but they still held racist beliefs, which blew my mind because I'm like, man, Abraham Lincoln, I thought he was the OG. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, cool. yeah, 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 for sure. And then you're looking sure. back and all these guys, you know, even, you know, Booker T. Washington, as you were saying, W.D. Boy, uh, all these got people, you know, that you were like, man, these were these guys were founders of the pioneers. And you're looking and they're still communicating in ways. And I think this is the idea, right? The importance of language communicating in ways that are still racist. Right. Even and, I, and I, I'm embarrassed to say when I look back. I was going back to hear the podcast from last year and trying to find figure out my language of how mm. I portrayed maybe yeah. the black community or even mm. how I view myself, because there are so many embedded, deeply rooted racist beliefs that we hold that play out. Right. And so I think it's it's really 
looking at you know the work of Ibram Kendi, and you mentioned so many other work, right? Where it's changed over the years. Yeah, we don't, surely we don't have people picking cotton unless you're talking about now. You know, uh, um, what is it? Uh, uh, the in, uh, prison industry, right? That mm -hmm. is the morph, right? Uh, you don't have what we used to have, right? Before pre-Civil War and all that, but. I mean, we can argue that it's just different now. It looks different. It has a different right. name, but it's still the same underlying thing. So unless we really address those things, and that's what's, you know, hopefully this momentum that the youth and the younger generations have can carry over to the voting booths, can carry over to going and asking for better representation in our community, right? Can can carry over. One thing that you said, it didn't really click, um, but I, I, I heard it in the podcast when I listened to it again. It's just the importance of being on the census, right? Of, of getting on and saying, hey, join, do the census so that your community knows who they are representing, right? Because then they can be like, oh, we don't have any black people in Palm Coast. Yep. Is, no, if yep. you went to the protest yesterday, you would see there's a lot of black people, a lot of minorities in Palm Coast. And so it's as important to be uh, on the census. So a lot of a lot of thoughts. But I think the language that we use and how we perpetuate these ideas, right? I, I, I see it um, even in, in today's age. You know, Chantal had a had a conversation with someone and and she was a, a white passing Latina, right? I'm a white passing mm -hmm. Latino that for many years I was ashamed of too, um, which then speaks to, you know, kind of like you were saying, being prejudiced against white and I don't want to be white because it, you know, mm -hmm. um, but he, she was a white passing Latina and Chantal is an Afro Latina, right? Even mm -hmm. that was revolutionary for me because mm -hmm. I was like, no, you're just Latina. She's like, no, no, I'm Afro Latina. Mm -hmm. But like, no, for me as a Latino, we don't see color, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, you know, but the reality is that Chantal is an Afro Latina, and for many times, even in the Latino community, we have seen how you just deny a part of you because it's degraded, you know. And, and it's that's oh, we it, we bought the narrative that black is bad, that black mm -hmm. is subhuman, right? Um, black is sin, as some people think that that was a right, mark that yeah. got, which is right ridiculous. And so to cut it short, yeah. So the, the, this this person mentions to Chantal, she's like, I'm just glad I'm a white skinned Latina because I don't have to deal with all these things. Mm. I was like, literally, I'm a, I, we just spoke, I'm an Afro Latina. Like, so there's mm. just so much that needs to be unpacked, not just in, in when we protest, but even the, the very ideas that we hold, right? What we believe. And as communicators and preachers of the word, how we communicate and share this word, right? I think it's something so telling that the God of the universe that came, Jesus Christ, in Philippians 2, he emptied himself. It's a beautiful word there. That's a, he left his privileges in heaven to become a man like us, right? And so I think this is a call to the white community, to white passing Latinos, to Latinos and, and Asian, whoever it is that's listening, to check our privileges and say, hey, you know, God is a God of infinite. You know, if, if, if Garrison says, hey, I'm not getting the right, the same amount of opportunities for education, just because we're, I'm extending a, a hand or and not as a white savior, but as a, hey, this is just equality. This is uh, disparity. Doesn't mean he's taking from my chances. No, no, no. Right. We're, we're trying to uplift everyone together. That's the purpose of the gospel, right? To right. uplift everyone, to help everyone else. Right. So this book here, and I think that's beyond anything that Garrison can say, because he can speak from his experience. But as you were, as he's been saying, we don't believe black people. Mm -hmm. And this is one thing I even heard it in my own family, right? It's like in, in thinking about the LGBTQ plus community, mm -hmm. right? I've never felt these attractions. So it possibly, it can't possibly yep. be true. That's exactly I right. haven't had this, you know, I've gone jogging with, you know, but I've never gotten looked at or, or stopped right. or anything like that. So it possibly can't have be true. Right. All right. my interactions with police officers has been healthy. Right. So it can't possibly be true that they're getting beat up. Right. It, it isn't until we step back and we say, maybe there's more to the picture that I don't see. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the call that Christianity that many people have missed. 
that God in it in not exposing and sharing everything that there is to know about the world and humanity and life has made it so that we have to humble ourselves and say, we don't know everything. Right. Mm -hmm. And we've done a bad job in the church because we pretended as Adventists that we do know everything. So yep. I think it's important to be educated and really see our blind spots um, because we we perpetuate this system of racism and discrimination that we're so against without even knowing because we're not mm -hmm. checking or we're not believing others that are experienced in this. And so just a little rant, ranting tangent, but <laughs> no, that was good. Yeah, yeah. I think I think that uh, there's a lack of empathy um, in our society today. A lot of tribalism. Um, I'm this. I'm that. I'm blue. I'm red. Uh, when it comes to policies, no politics. And there's a lot of lack of empathy if you differ from what I'm. What I believe is right. And I and I believe that this is something that that comes into this situation. So as as a Latino, I, I understand my perspective. Uh, you know uh, how I grew up, but. And, and the limitations and the experiences. I, I once had someone tell me that if I were to knock mm -hmm. on their door and I, I, I don't have a beard, okay? I just have a little scruff. I was told by a Christian that if uh, I were to knock on their door the way that I look today, um, I had a, a, just a little bit more scruff that she would think I was a terror, terrorist. Right. Even the language we use for, for Arabs and, and Muslims. Just yeah. like that, yeah. right? Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. what? So so when, when, when someone else says, I've been racially profiled. I, someone was racist to me. I can't say, I don't believe you. Mm -hmm. That's not right. Is that the loving thing to say? Mm -mm. No, yeah. because empathy is like, wait, what do you mean about that? Tell me more. Yeah. Tell me more. And then, yeah, they were racist. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. You can't just give the benefit of the, of the doubt to say, no. You know, um, th there's a quote that one of the pastors on my, uh, that we <laughs> communicate uh, in my conference said, uh oh. Um, a good uh, quote? Something else, yeah, it's, it's really good, but I, I can't find it now okay. in the time. But uh, essentially, the devil wants good men to stay quiet. Mm -hmm. that, that's all that's all that the enemy would want us to do. And you can be a good person and be like, yeah, black people should have equality, shouldn't be brutalized. But if you're quiet about it, yeah, that's as bad as the those that are loud about it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right, 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 right. yeah. And I want to just say, uh, there's a conversation, right? Well, why are we protesting for black people when there's so many other things? You know, what about Blue Lives Matter? You know, and uh, and then I'm like, you know, and, and what what frustrates me about that, and and people that bring up those points is that they they're trying to take away from the Black Lives Matter initiative. We're seeing there's a there's a problem that's from the inception, even before America was founded, there has been a problem with racism towards the black community. Um, but even then, they're trying to take the traction from distract from that, right? Um, and so they'll bring up, you know, well, well, you know, well, well, other stuff. But many times they're just trying to distract. They're not even aware of what's going on with, you know, Muslims in China or or, you know, refugees in Syria or Mexicans at the border. And they're not going to stand up for it. They just say, hey, you're, you're disrupting my feed. I don't want to be feeling guilty and shameful for maybe being a part of the system. And I think of that quote that says, you know, um, I'm not sure. I, I don't I think it's MLK. Right. That says that. Uh, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. And I think it, the inverse mm -hmm. is true, right? Justice anywhere is 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 going to uh, incorrect yeah. justice. Every, you know, so think about it, right? If we start fighting for black rights and equality among this nation in a systemic way, in a positive way, the same thing then, will, those, those, those racist policies will have to change for immigrants that are coming from refugee countries, right? And it's going to change to the language that we talk about Mexicans where we're seeing, oh, wait, 
I'm not only being racist towards Black Americans, but I'm being Black uh, racist against Mexican Americans and and Syrian women. And and so it's it, you know instead of seeing it as like oh we're just you're seeing this as this is the beginning of something that can really overlap and impact so many other things that we're seeing. Mm-hmm. And so it's just so sad that you don't see those people that are against this don't aren't equally vocal about other stuff, right? Mm-hmm. They just want you to stop mm-hmm. talking about it because you're you're infringing on on on, on my my right to feel good at all times. I don't know what it is, right? So I think it's very important for us to to bear with our brothers and sisters and see that a step in the right direction isn't just for the black community, it's for everyone. This is yeah, gonna impact absolutely. every single thing. Um, and even if it didn't, I would wanna be able to say, hey, I was a part of this movement and I'm a, as a Christian, I believe that all people should be on the same equal footing as as, as Jesus Christ and the gospel responds to that. So, Garrett, I don't know if you have a thought there or want to keep moving kind of to see uh, for just a couple of seconds here. I don't even know if we should talk about the church response, but real quickly, I'll just talk, highlight a little bit. Um, obviously, you know, this, we're talking from a Seventh-day Adventist perspective. The church has typically been very slow and reluctant to release something that truly addresses specifically what is going on. Um, we see that. We saw that in World War II. We've seen it. Um, in many other parts where they post the fact they're like oh yeah by the way we did we were never again we were never for this right or or we were against this they were not immediate to call out uh different things um and so what are your thoughts garrison egger on on the church's response during this time at this moment uh have we done a good job has has been pitiful you know i kind of have two thoughts here i mean one is you know what i i can only you know uh decipher what is being done in other places based on some of the things i've seen from pastors like i think one of the more valuable um i don't even know if i should say it that way (laughs) one of the more interesting you know places on facebook that that i i have the privilege of of being a part of is this uh is is a group with a number of pastors Mm-hmm. And seeing some of the responses there has been, they've been encouraging. Mm-hmm. Um, seeing some of those responses, they've been a, a, a bit discouraging at times. <laughs> um, so, you know, seeing the way people respond to it, you know, has been really kind of in some ways concerning, honestly. You know, for, for many people, there's a lot of energy spent on the on the on the the, when when talking about these protests there's a lot of energy spent on like oh the looters and the violent people and the rioters quote unquote right 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 right. and we know i mean we know without a shadow there's this is you know empirical you know fact we know that there are tens of thousands of peaceful protesters around the country i mean peaceful protesters outnumber mm-hmm. at a significant yeah. rate yes, any sir. of the very you know very small minority of individuals who are doing violence or who mm-hmm. are looting or, or or rioting whatever that means right like that those individuals who we certainly don't agree with the the violent people and the people who are tearing stuff up those people are in the extreme minority and yet they take up an outside space yeah in our conversation on on what's happening out there. And my my single point, you know, when thinking about these, you know, pastors particularly, because we have a huge responsibility to use our voices mm-hmm. for good. Mm-hmm. When when thinking about pastors, I find it interesting that so many pastors 
are able to do the grace-filled, logical maneuvering to say, yes, there are bad cops out there, but we know that those bad, we believe that those bad cops are in the minority and the majority of cops who are out there want to do good. We can make that distinction. Right. But we can't seem to make the same distinction when it comes to those who are protesting. And I think that's a major issue. I've seen yeah. a number of conferences um, release statements where honestly they've spent far too much time On making the, sure that they position themselves as like, mm -hmm. oh, we're here for peace and we're against any violence and we're right, right. But but you don't do that same thing when you're talking about police officers. Hey, wait, we're here, you know, for 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 good cops. But mm -hmm. honestly, the bad cops are the one. I don't see anybody making statements about mm -hmm. bad cops because mm -hmm. they don't want to center that in the conversation about police officers. Mm -hmm. And I understand why. So we have to ask ourselves, why are we centering violence in the conversation about this righteous right. and just protest movement? OK, mm -hmm. that's the first thing. The second thing is I think it's really important that we get out there, that we lend our our uh, presence. We, we march alongside those who are leading a righteous movement for justice. Right. I think it's important that we support them with our voices. Yes. I think it's also important that we support them uh, financially. I happen mm -hmm. to live uh, in proximity to DC where our protests are taking place right there in front of the White House. <clears throat> DC doesn't have a cash bail system. So when someone is arrested, um, there is no bail to get them out. You know, that that's not how this system works in particular. But in cities across the nation, when someone, a peaceful protester or otherwise is arrested, mm -hmm. um, often they there's money that has to be put up for them to be released from jail. Right. right. Um, it's important that that churches are willing to to create a bail fund for those who have been um, unjustly arrested for for exercising their constitutional duty to protest the injustices that are taking place in this world. Um, of course, these protesters need supplies like water and, you know, fruit bars and Nutri-Grain Nutri bars and like granola bars. And like that stuff is important. They're out there in the hot sun. Sunscreen is important. Um, if you're in a place where they are using tear gas or pepper gas or whatever it is to right. to, to to disperse these crowds, uh, buy milk and or, or, you know, bacon, baking soda and water to make sure that people can protect themselves mm -hmm. against um, against what's happening out there with with these you know police officers right, who are right. agonizing these crowds. So what do we need to do? I think we need to be engaged in this fight. Mm -hmm. And I'll say this last thing before allowing you guys to jump in. I know I kind of <laughs> no, you're good, you're good. Here. You're um, I'll say that you know what's taking what earlier in this week, um, several cities across the nation were enacting um, curfews, uh, 7 p.m. curfews here in D.C. I've seen 6 p.m. curfews in L.A. and 2 p.m. curfews. In, I, I, I've seen people placing curfews um, extremely early. I mean, it's, at 7 o'clock, it's still daytime here. In you're really getting out of here. work at the hospital. Like, like you're no, barely you're left, out of yeah. work, right? <laughs> like, like th that's the curfew for no one can be out, which what it does is it allows, you know, we're out here protesting police brutality. And it allows for cops, it gives them free reign to use brutalizing and violent tactics to make sure that people are out of the streets. It, it almost gives them the, the, the push, the wind in their backs to say, no, go out and get these people because right, they're right. breaking the curfew. But again, it is our constitutional right to assemble. We right. have a right, right. to protest. 
And if we are allowing our local governments, because of whatever political persuasions we may hold, mm. to enact impromptu laws that violate the constitutional rights of the people, imagine what else we will allow. It is a creeping compromise that we cannot right. Right. give into. I right. get it. I get people saying, hey, we want to make sure we're staying safe and all that. But ask yourself, why didn't they enact these kinds of curfews when white men holding uh -oh. big assault rifles, like big uh -oh. time guns, were, mm -hmm. were storming the Capitol? Literally in state capitals, in, they in were government buildings. In state capitals. Why didn't they put in curfews? Why didn't they bring out militarized police forces? I mean, Nobody wasn't, no riot gear. No riot. I'm out here in D.C. The DEA, the Customs and Border Patrol is out there. The FBI, the military police, of course, the D.C. local police. Like, I'm telling you, it is a military occupation. It's a war zone. It's yeah. a war zone out here. And yet, when and, and yet, I didn't see a single person carrying an assault rifle or any type of weapon openly. Perhaps someone had a handgun or something on them. I don't doubt that. And that's their right to do so currently. Yeah. Yeah, but, yeah. but but these people are walking in with these large guns and the response is totally different. And so you have to ask yourself, could it be that they responded that way to these white men precisely because they are white men? Mm -hmm. Could it be that they're responding to these black and brown people who make up a large majority of the individuals who are protesting across the nation precisely okay. because they are black and brown? Uh, I, so what do we need to do? We need to stand for righteous justice. Amen. And I think that means Amen. supporting these protests. That's good. That's beautiful. Yeah, I just wrote some stuff there. March, donate, bail funds, get supplies, vote, get on the census. Oh, yes. Oof. Oh, yes. Vote. <laughs> yeah, that's very important. Man, very that's so true, man. We're really, literally seeing racist uh, policies, right? Impromptu curfews being done in front of our eyes. And so... It's easy to make that logical conclusion that if they can make it here, where else can we find it in this whole system? And you'll find just like you just like when you have a house and you find, you know, there's mold somewhere. You start ripping up the houses or the carpets and it's everywhere. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's important for us to realize that and say, hey, we got to keep our keep our people in check that represent that supposedly represent us in, in, in high places. But Garrison, what are some resources um, in terms of getting educated? Um you go ahead. I have two, but I'm sure you have a bunch because you were. I'm excited to hear about yours. I, I have four resources. I think there's a book that was written for the time that we're living in. It is this one right here. It is uh, Where Do We Go From Here? Ooh. And of course, the, the tagline here is chaos or community. That's good. That's the moment that we're living in. The decision that we need to we need to really ask ourselves when when America is no longer burning and rioting and polarizing, what will we rebuild? Are we going to rebuild a, a a world that lends itself to chaos, or are we going to rebuild a world that is truly oriented towards community? Um, Martin Luther King Jr. is often quoted okay. by those who seek to silence hmm. um, righteous protests. But I challenge you, if you've ever thought, well, what would MLK do? Or we need an MLK. Read his words. Yes. Read his words. Uh, allow yourself to be educated, not mm -hmm. by the colonized, you know, MLK that after his death, they've taken him and the hijacked words yeah. and white explained him in a way that allows for him to be in alignment with the very people that sought to kill him, that did Mur him. Hmm. Or will you read the words of the radical Martin Luther King Jr. who was killed for these very words, for these very thoughts and, and these beliefs? Wow. MLK, where do we go from here? Very important. Book. That's good. That's a good one. 
Second book. Um, I'm going to stagger this. So you mentioned um, uh, Stamp from the Beginning by this very author, Dr. Ibram mm -hmm. X. Kendi. Um, Ibram Kendi make, writes this book, How to Be an Anti-Racist. It is the clearest um, explanation of anti-racism and the necessity of anti-racism that I've ever read. If you are a person, I believe you. You say, hey, I'm not racist. I'm against racism. I don't want to yeah. be a racist person. I want to make sure the racism ends. If you, if you believe that, I believe you that you say that, yeah. then you have to read this book. Yeah. You don't have another, you don't have an option. I will <laughs> say though, it is, uh, it is in back order. I think oh, is it? this one and the one that Logan recommended, what's about white people, how to, uh, oh, Robin D'Angelo probably. Yeah. I mean, if Amazon, yeah. Why for Jared, out, yeah. If Amazon, Amazon out, and a lot of the bookstores have yeah. been, those two books are the ones that you can't, I hey. mean, they're in back, which is a great, which is a great thing. It's a great, That's great. I'll say this. Um, if you can, Google yeah. search a local bookstore, mm -hmm. preferably a black owned bookstore. Yeah, that's it. And go and buy it from there. And, and honestly, like this that. is an appeal on a broader level. Buy from black owned places. Anti-racist. That's important. Black owned businesses. Businesses need to be supported. Of course, you know, I am I I can repeat that for Asian American and Pacific yeah. Islander owned businesses, of course, yeah. Latinx businesses. Right. That's important. But please. Go find this book and honestly find it locally. Um, I, I almost guarantee you they have it. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, okay, two more and then I'll, I'll I'll be done. This this next one is a very small book that everyone can read really really quickly. It's on tyranny. Twenty lessons from the twentieth century. Listen, this book is like a masterclass on how to change things. If you want to be, if you want to see like things in this world change and excuse me, if you want to engage in, of course, like political change, this is a, a really important, very, very small book. Who's it's the author? Just 20 lessons. It's by Timothy Snyder. So on tyranny, uh, 20 lessons from the 20th century. Um, That's yeah. That's Got this from Suzanne Ochai. Mm. Shout out. Okay. Right. And the last one, this is for my black brothers Ooh. and sisters who may be uh, watching this right now. There is so much going on in this world that is wearing on our mental health. Yep. And this mm. book Perfect. is um, is ministry in many ways. This one is so, so important. I mean, this does not, of course, negate going to get professional mental health counseling, which I yeah. really highly recommend for all people. I don't care who you are, where you're from. Everyone needs professional mental health counseling. Absolutely. But in a time where not everyone has the resources or the insurance to do that, I understand that. Start here. Uh, if you if you can't, and this is a serious, if you cannot go to a professional in person or virtually or what have you, mm -hmm. get this book and, and start working through some things. Um, just a powerful book. One of the ideas that it introduces is one's psychological fortitude, wow, being yeah. able to measure where you are on That's that spectrum good. and then being able to adjust your life in a way that helps you to preserve your That's psychological good. fortitude. Very important by Dr. Rita Walker. Um, okay. so the Unapologetic Guide to Black, Black Mental Health. I like that. And I'll just throw in two Thank books you. here. Thank you, Gerson. Yeah. I haven't read, I haven't started yet because Chantal's been reading it, but The New Jim Crow by uh, Michelle Alexander, Mass Incarceration in the Age of Colorblindness. Mm. Um, we've spoken a little bit there, but just uh, how was just said, right? Oh, there's no more Jim Crow laws. You know, se uh, segregation's done. We can all drink from the same water fountain. But to see how it's only... The same racist beliefs and uh, practices are still being done. Just they've just morphed and they look different. Um, 
And if you're not aware of it, then you're going to miss and see it. And this last one here, back where uh, Garrison was saying about Ibram Kendi. Yo, this book has... The way I know that this is a historical, factual book is that he's not afraid to critique the very people he the black community that he represents right mm. um so you you know many times in history we see how okay it was written by certain people for certain people they're going to gloss over you know that's why we yeah. know the bible that's one of the reasons we know the bible's true because we we don't hide the ugly and ibram kendi does not hide from the fact that he talks about black individuals that still held racist views and for me i'm like okay i take that because he's like these were they were doing good but they could have been doing a lot better and were even causing more harm than good in not being anti-racist, right? So this is based on, I don't know which one came first. If this, how that to be one came first, that one yeah. came first, and then this one came. Yeah. As so you can read those in conjunction. That yeah. one will tell you what an anti-racist is, and this will show you what it looks like yeah. or it didn't look like throughout history. Um, Good. Well said. So, yeah, big books there, amazing. But I think it's it's our duty uh, of for people that are. I would even say in the black community, but outside, especially more in the white community as Latinos, Asian Americans, Pacific Islanders, wherever, you know, uh, Arabs, wherever you fall, Europeans, wherever you fall in this category, to be informed uh, and educated on the not only in talking and having individuals and friends to be able to dialogue with and say, hey, tell me about your experience, but also to see the history and what scholars and educated people have written on these matters and these topics. I, I think I found the quote that I was referring to earlier. <laughs> um, it says, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. Yeah. And that oh. should give us uh, the, the, the idea to do something. Um, remember to not just be, uh, don't say you're not racist, be anti-racist because mm -hmm. there are going to be moments that you, that, that, that people may see a comment or, maybe alluding to a racist uh, idea. And you can't just sit back and say, well, you know, that's them, you know, similar to how uh, the Nazis in Nazi Germany would say, well, I was told that we should kill the Jews. So I, I only did what I was told, you know, I was just, on orders. you know, we must realize the importance of doing something. We must be anti-racist, yeah. go against the fabrics in our community, in our society that may promote racist ideas and be vocal to say that that stops here yeah yeah that's good that's good any last words garrison edgar we good hey i i just want to say yeah. thank you to you all man i think edgar just hit the nail on the head and, and same thing for you uh sebi it's just like you know it it is always it's always so encouraging when non-black people um take a step into the conversation about what's going on in the black mm -hmm. community, particularly, especially mm -hmm. with, you know, the lens of empathy and listening and understanding and saying like, Hey, I want to understand more. And right, I want to do right, what's right, best right. for that community without lecturing, you know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, that yeah. Lecturing kind of thing. It's just really powerful. So thank you to you guys as two Latinx brothers who are willing to engage, man. And just like, you know, open up this conversation to a broader audience. Um, Really appreciate y'all, and and and, and th I'm thankful for your friendship, mm. and uh, yeah. So it's really important, and I yeah I, yeah yeah. We appreciate you, Garrison. We love we you, man. We we uh, we love Garrison and all the blackness that you bring to our friend, right? Yeah, because we do see color, right? Because that color brings unique perspective and go. experience and life. Um, but under the you know under under the gospel, we are all one. But mm, um, but yeah, we're thankful for you. But yeah, thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, again, I think. 
educating ourselves, listening to others, showing empathy is a, is a great way of trending up, which is what we're all about, right? Of learning and getting better at this thing that we do in life. And so as we do that, I'm confident that we will keep trending up and we'll keep following where God leads us in, in being a loving community that sees all people, hears all people and, uh, and loves all. So we love you guys. Continue to trend up and we'll see you in the next episode. Peace.